0: Part 1, Chapter 4, Section 37 of The Life of Jesus Critically Examined by David Friedrich Strauss, translated by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 1, History of the Birth and Childhood of Jesus. Chapter 4, Birth and Earliest Events of the Life of Jesus. Section 37. Chronological relation between the visit of the Magi, together with the flight into Egypt, and the presentation in the temple recorded in Luke. It has been already remarked that the narratives of Matthew and Luke above considered at first run tolerably parallel but afterwards widely diverge, for instead of the tragical catastrophe of the massacre and flight, Luke has preserved to us the peaceful scene of the presentation of the child Jesus in the temple. Let us for the present shut our eyes to the result of the preceding inquiry the purely mythical character of matthew's narrative and ask in what chronological relation could the presentation in the temple stand to the visit of the magi and the flight into egypt of these occurrences the only one that has a precise date is the presentation in the temple of which it is said that it took place at the expiration of the period appointed by the law for the purification of a mother That is according to Leviticus chapter twelve verses two through four, forty days after the birth of the child, from Luke chapter two verse twenty-two. The time of the other incidents is not fixed with the same exactness. It is merely said that the magi came to Jerusalem, to Iesu genethentos in Bethlehem, Matthew chapter two verse one. How long after the birth? the evangelist does not decide. As, however, the participle connects the visit of the Magi with the birth of the child, if not immediately, at least so closely that nothing of importance can be supposed to have intervened, some expositors have been led to the opinion that the visit ought to be regarded as prior to the presentation in the temple. Admitting this arrangement, we have to reconcile it with one of two alternatives. Either the flight into Egypt also preceded the presentation in the temple, or, while the visit of the Magi preceded, the flight followed that event. If we adopt the latter alternative and thrust the presentation in the temple between the visit of the Magi and the flight, we come into collision at once with the text of Matthew and the mutual relation of the facts the evangelist connects the command to flee into Egypt with the return of the Magi by a participial construction, from verse 13, similar to that by which he connects the arrival of the Oriental sages with the birth of Jesus. Hence, those who, in the one instance, hold such a construction to be a reason for placing the events, which it associates in close succession, must in the other instance be withheld by it from inserting a third occurrence between the visit and the flight as regards the mutual relation of the facts it can hardly be considered probable that at the very point of time in which joseph received a divine intimation that he was no longer safe in bethlehem from the designs of herod he should be permitted to take a journey to jerusalem and thus to rush directly into the lion's mouth At all events, the strictest precautions must have been enjoined on all who were privy to the presence of the Messianic child in Jerusalem, lest a rumor of the fact should get abroad. But there is no trace of this solicitous incognito in Luke's narrative. On the contrary, not only does Simeon call attention to Jesus in the temple, unchecked either by the Holy Spirit or by the parents, But Anna also thinks she is serving the good cause by publishing as widely as possible the tidings of the Messiah's birth. In Luke 2, verses 28 and following, and verse 38. It is true that she is said to have confined her communication to those who were like-minded with herself. But this could not hinder them from reaching the ears of the Herodian party, for the greater the excitement produced by such news on the minds of those who looked for redemption the more would the vigilance of the government be aroused so that jesus would inevitably fall into the hands of the tyrant who was lying in wait thus in any case they who place the presentation in the temple after the visit of the magi must also determine to postpone it until after the return from egypt but even this arrangement clashes with the evangelical statement for it requires us to insert, between the birth of Jesus and his presentation in the temple, the following events. The arrival of the Magi, the flight into Egypt, the Bethlehem Massacre, the death of Herod, and the return of the parents of Jesus out of Egypt. Obviously, too much to be included in the space of forty days. It must therefore be supposed that the presentation of the child and the first appearance of the mother in the temple were procrastinated beyond the time appointed by the law this expedient however runs counter to the narrative of luke who expressly says that the visit to the temple took place at the legal time but in either case the difficulty is the same the parents of jesus could according to matthew's account as little think of a journey to jerusalem after their return from egypt as immediately previous to their departure thither. For if Joseph, on his return from Egypt, was warned not to enter Judea, because Archelaus was Herod's successor in that province, he would least of all venture to Jerusalem, the very seat of the redoubted government. On neither of the above plans, therefore, will the presentation in the temple bear to be placed after the visit of the Magi, and the only remaining alternative, which is embraced by the majority of commentators, is to make the incident noticed by Luke precede both those narrated by Matthew. This is so far the most natural, that in Matthew there is at least an indirect intimation of a considerable interval between the birth of Jesus and the arrival of the Magi. For we are told that Herod's decree included all the children in Bethlehem up to the age of two years. We must therefore necessarily infer that even if Herod, to make sure of his object, exceeded the term fixed by the Magi, the star had been visible to these astrologers for more than a year. Now the narrator seems to suppose the appearance of the star to have been contemporary with the birth of Jesus. Viewing the narratives in this order, the parents of Jesus first journeyed from Bethlehem, where the child was born, to Jerusalem, there to present the legal offerings. They next returned to Bethlehem, where, according to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 5, they were found by the Magi, then followed the flight into Egypt, and after the return from thence, the settlement at Nazareth. The first and most urgent question that here suggests itself is this what had the parents of jesus to do a second time in bethlehem which was not their home and where their original business connected with the census must surely have been dispatched in the space of forty days the discussion of this question must be deferred but we can find an ample substitute for this argument drawn from the nature of the fact in one which rests on the words of the evangelical narrative. Luke, in verse 39, says, in the most definite matter, that after the completion of the legal observance, the parents of Jesus returned to Nazareth as to their proper home, not to Bethlehem, which, according to him, was merely a temporary residence. If, then, the Magi arrived after the presentation in the temple, they must have met with the parents of Jesus in Nazareth, and not in Bethlehem, as Matthew states. Moreover, had the arrival of the Magi really been preceded by the presentation in the temple, together with the attention which must have been excited by the language of Simeon and Anna, it is impossible that at the period of that arrival, the birth of the Messianic child could have been so much a secret in Jerusalem, that the announcement of it by the Magi should be, as Matthew relates, a source of general astonishment. If, then, the presentation of Jesus in the temple can have taken place neither earlier nor later than the visit of the Magi and the flight into Egypt, and if the flight into Egypt can have taken place neither earlier nor later than the presentation in the temple, it is impossible that both these occurrences really happened and at the very utmost only one can be historical to escape from this dangerous dilemma supernaturalism has lately been induced to take a freer position that by the surrender of what is no longer tenable the residue may be saved neander finds himself constrained to admit that neither did luke know anything of what matthew communicates concerning the childhood of jesus nor did the greek editor of matthew to be distinguished from the apostle know anything of the events detailed by luke but he contends it does not therefore follow that both the different series of incidents cannot have happened by giving this turn to the matter the difficulties arising from the words of the evangelist are certainly avoided not so the difficulties arising from the nature of the facts The first evangelist ranges in close succession the visit of the magi and the flight into egypt as though no change of place had intervened the author of the third gospel represents the parents of jesus as returning with the child after the presentation in the temple directly to nazareth we cannot on this ground argue from one evangelist against the other for it is inadmissible to maintain that certain events never happened because they were unknown to a remote narrator. But viewing the two narratives in another light, we perceive how improbable it is that, after the scene in the temple, the birth of the Messianic child should be so entirely unknown in Jerusalem as the conduct of Herod on the arrival of the Magi implies. How incredible, reversing the order of the events, that Joseph should be permitted to go to Jerusalem, with the child which herod had just sought to kill how inconceivable finally that the parents of jesus should have returned to bethlehem after the presentation in the temple of which more hereafter all these difficulties lying in the nature of the facts difficulties not less weighty than those connected with the words of the evangelists still subsist in neander's explanation and prove its inadequacy thus the dilemma above stated remains and were we compelled to choose under it we should in the present stage of our inquiry on no account decide in favour of matthew's narrative and against that of luke on the contrary as we have recognized the mythical character of the former we should have no resource but to adhere with our modern critics to the narrative of luke and surrender that of matthew but is not luke's narrative of the same nature as that of matthew and instead of having to choose between the two must we not deny to both an historical character the answer to this question will be found in the succeeding examination End of section 37.